Greetings, everyone. Um, hi, everybody. Thank you for joining Turning a Moment into a Movement. My name is Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard Movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime that he didn't do. And that birthed that moment, which also birthed this moment, turning a moment into a moment, where we come on every Friday at 6 p.m. to talk about wrongful incarcerations and um, educate our community and also spread awareness. So thank you for joining us. We've been on a vacation, but we're back and we're happy to be here. We're so excited. We have some awesome guests today. And I would like to start off with bringing in the panel and so we can get started. So I'm going to start off with, hi, Remitia. Well, hello there. I'm so glad I got this to work. I am in my nephew's classroom oh, okay. for, for the COVID time. And I'm so glad to be here, Jay Love. I'm so glad to be off of vacation. <laughs> uh, although vacation was good. Right. However, we got a lot going on. And as a minister over at none other than Transforming Love Community, um, I'm so glad to, I'm really honored to be able to be on this platform. Because as a leader in spirituality, the key is becoming one with body, soul, and spirit. Right. And you can't ignore the injustices done in in this world and and say that I love God at the same time and I can't help my neighbor. I can't serve in the community and I and I quiet about injustices. No, it's time to speak out and to move and demonstrate what justice looks like on all fronts. So I'm so glad to be a part, um, being in the human service field for more than 20 years and counting, um, working on my doctorate so that I can be more effective in policy and administration. I am looking forward to this next season and I do believe that we can make a change. Thank you so much. You're welcome, thank you. Next we have Attorney Hugo Mack. Hi, Attorney Hugo Mack, how are you? Hello, our leader. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. Thank Reverend you. Tia, beautiful smile, everything. Just wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. So it's good. It's good to see you all. And look, Jay Love, I tell you, I'm just so honored to be a part of the panel. And uh, I've grown so close to all of you, to, to all of you, you know, and stuff. So uh, it's important for me. I've dedicated my life to justice for people coming up uh, Black in Ann Arbor. Uh, which is no panacea for black people, I might add, despite the, the hype of the university. You know, I know what it's like to be black and uh, have police surround my vehicle in the case of mistaken identity, uh, being black with an afro. And once upon a time, I, I did have hair once upon a time. And so, <laughs> so, you know, and then easily could have been shot for a furtive gesture, you know. Uh, well, you know, and, and, and perfectly innocent just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I say that because when I hear stories about police harass, and, and not all police, not even most police, I'm, I'm not saying that, but the instances where police have harassed someone, 
and uh, people tell me, you know, Attorney Mack, I, I wasn't doing anything. I, I really, I was just in the car and I really wasn't doing anything. I wasn't speeding or anything. So when I hear those explanations, they don't fall on deaf ears. They, mm -hmm. they fall on ears that from personal experience know being a young black man carries a target. It does, it simply does. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, being able to practice law and a person with a background, including a penitentiary experience myself and coming back and regaining my license, I know what it's like inside and outside, which is why I've dedicated myself to fighting for the rights of people when they're in the criminal justice system. Because I know from firsthand experience, it's a stacked deck, no question about it. No question about it. And you know, uh, as part of my history, uh, Jay Love, you know that I ran for Washtenaw County Prosecutor. I did that because we need to have a voice, people stand up and willing to expose the wrong in the system because you are not made safe by somebody getting railroaded. You know, your, your house isn't more secure by somebody getting railroaded. In fact, every time somebody does get railroaded, it makes us unsafe because what's happening is we've diverted our resources towards punishing and convicting somebody that need not be where the actual criminals are still at large, you see. And then uh, on, on top of that, another reason I fight for prison reform is that when a person has served their sentence, whether they committed a crime or not, almost becomes immaterial once you've paid, okay? Once I paid to get into the movie, then I paid my fare, don't make me pay again. So when people come out from incarceration, people don't get a chance to sit on juries. They're discriminated with housing. They're discriminated with employment. You see, they can even be discriminated with certain health care, which, which they cannot receive. And they're certainly, certainly stigmatized by the public of, as being a quote unquote felon um, in these cases. So I've been strongly in support of reform in terms of people getting expungements. But mostly my career is based on, I don't really refer to myself as a defense attorney anymore. I refer to myself as an offense attorney because what I found I've had to do as time goes on is preemptory motions uh, to try and circumvent some of the wrong that happens in these police reports. So um, we go on offense and they say in football, you know, uh, the best, greatest defense is a good offense. So we come in and we analyze and we challenge police. Uh, we challenge authorities. And I'm not afraid to stand up uh, to an incalcitrant judge and or police officer and or prosecutor because I know the deck is stacked. And if it's not for me or people like me, somebody like me, the chance of an innocent person getting railroaded is very, very high. Yeah. Thank you, Attorney Man. I'm glad you're here today. Next. Hi, Trisha. Hey, family. Oh, my goodness. We back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so excited. It was, it was needed, right? A needed break. Much needed. But, man, so much just happened um, over that time. But needless to say, I'm so grateful to be here with you all. And like um, Hugo so affectionately says, Attorney Max says, um, our leader, Jay, we thank you for creating this platform um, and just being on and doing all that you have done and continue to do in the movement. Reverend Tia, you know I love you. <laughs> and of course, my brother um, and friend, Attorney Hugo Mack, and we got Baraka coming on, but I'm just grateful to be here 
so much has happened while we were gone. And, you know, it's hard to take those breaks when you continue to see injustice um, because you want to spring into action, but you got to keep telling yourself that you got to refresh, you know. Mm-hmm. And I never forget, we, <laughs> we went up north and somebody did something completely crazy in line. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. I'm grateful for the rest. Um, But when it comes to injustice, there is no rest. And this is why we continue to do what we do. So I'm happy to be back so we can continue to expound, spread spread the news, um, continue to speak truth to power and do what we do and do it together because together we're stronger. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Trisha. Next. Hi, Baraka. Hey, hello, everyone. And I'm going to respond to your um, statement about being um, on vacation, <laughs> taking and introducing myself and telling my story. I'm going to kind of wrap it up together. Okay. And I'm going to take and give a little taste of uh, my philosophy or, 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 or disposition uh, in terms of um, seeking justice. Um, one is... Um, if I were to take and tell you that I was taking a break, well, in 2017, I was just leaving a prison yard after having served 43 years, um, where I went in at the age of six, 17 and came out just before my 60th birthday. And after having come out, um, I was working as a jailhouse attorney with fellow uh, prisoners. Um, working on their wrongful conviction cases, as well as trying to get my own foot out the door after U.S. a uh, succession of U.S. Supreme Court decisions. One finally took and declared um, a ruling that had earlier been made to be retroactive, which allowed me to be resentenced. So I came off a prison yard, and after having come off that prison yard, then I had to take and fight to get the good time after I had been resentenced. I fought to get good time so I can get myself off parole. Um, within that period of time, we won a victory in, in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals here in Michigan, got that good time, and immediately after getting that good time, which got me off parole, I then took and ventured on a 17-month effort to take and get a master's degree at the University of Michigan, okay? After acquiring that master's degree, I then took and immediately went over to from the University of Michigan School of Social Work to the School of Information as a consultant and a research um, assistant. And I have recently left that job to take a job at the office that Hugo Mack sought, which was the Washington County Prosecutor's Office as a, a, a paralegal with the Conviction, Integrity, and Expungement Unit. Okay, so I am working to take and help vindicate those who may be unlawfully incarcerated. And the philosophy that I took and told you that I will mix into this introduction so you can see there's been no vacation. Okay, (laughs) this philosophy that I told you about, remember one of the oldest cases in history dealing with wrongful conviction was the son of a man named Jacob. And his son is named Joseph, and we call him in the Quran Yusuf. So the, ne- the the story is known both in the Quran and the Bible, in the Old Testament. Joseph, remember, 
was sent to prison wrongfully for allegedly attempt rape okay and he wasn't sent to prison because he had actually attempted to rape anyone but because there was an effort to take and protect the, the reputation and the character of a woman of the higher society okay and he was placed in prison and he was left there for a long period of time until the the country took and, and and went through a famine and it was then seen that he 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 had some value to the king and only then was he allowed to come out of prison so it's under that idea remember it was the system itself that knew he was innocent but because it served the the, the people in status quota that he go to prison he went to prison and, it, and when it served them that he come out, then he came out. This same situation exists to get the date. These guys are going to prison, both men and women, um, people, mostly people of color, and they come out when it served the system as well. So <clears throat> we have to be careful about how we participate in this situation. We have to be um, careful about how we participate so it's with this acknowledgement of this early case in history that I take and tread in what I'm doing. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Baraka. So also, you guys, we have a great special guest who is, I hold near to my heart, who looked out, um, who shared this platform with me. Um, when I first began this journey of wrongful incarceration with my son, Gerard, um, he just don't know how much I appreciate and love him. And I'm so grateful that he's coming on with us today. Everybody, I don't have an applause button, but <laughs> I want you to welcome Mr. Sam Riddle. Hi, Sam. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Just glad to be here. I created a set, and that's uh -huh. the set, the same one I used when a uh, guy I trained many years ago, a uh, fat white boy named Michael Moore, filmmaker. <laughs> uh, he had me on his, he's had me on his podcast uh, a couple of times. Matter of fact, I was on with Congressman Dan Kildee and Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who really hooked us up. Yes. J Love. And you, you know, the thing of it is with me, my first experience with the wrongfully incarcerated was in the 70s when I was a law student at the University of Michigan, from which I did graduate. I was an undergrad at Michigan State. And uh, we got a, I, did, I worked on a case. Mm -hmm. White guy kept writing. He was in, was he in Milan? Anyway, he kept writing to uh, Senator Basil Brown's office. I worked for Senator Basil Brown. That's when the Democrats actually ran some things in Lansing. It was a long time ago. And Basil Brown shared a house with a gentleman from Detroit named Coleman Young, who was also a state senator. And I worked on the case of a white guy named Ryan Logan, who had been wrongfully incarcerated. And it's something because here's this black team working to free this older white guy, and it worked. Mm -hmm. we, we got him out. I think he had been wrongfully incarcerated for over 30-something years. He got some compensation, 
But as anyone knows who's ever been wrongfully incarcerated, there's never enough compensation, not even for one day when you've been wrongfully incarcerated. But uh, today I come to you in my official capacity as political director of the Michigan National Action Network. Most of our cases uh, do not involve the wrongfully incarcerated. Uh, someone, the young lady that's in here from New York, of course, has heard of Gwen Carr. Uh, this is her book. It stops here today. I interviewed her when I was last in New York at our NAN national uh, convention. Gwen Carr, of course, is the mother of Eric Garner, who was just choked to death on the New York street about a Lucy, a cigarette. I mean, and, and the way that they devalue our lives is one of the reasons that I'm on here with you now. Those of us with platforms have a duty, an obligation to give platforms to those who without platforms will never see any justice. If we don't shine a media spotlight on the injustice that exists in America, we'll just be the banshees shouting in the wind. No one will hear, no one will give a damn. And, and I'm just, you know, very honored to be here today and uh, what I'll be sharing with you is how I think we need to expose the prosecutors who looked the other way and what the police did. Look the other way, the prosecutors do when the police lie. The judges, hmm. you know, there's a Michigan judge, she's on the station I'm on now. She buys ads. Same judge, black woman, throughout one of our friends, Jay Love when her son was being in trial and eventually was convicted. And we know he was wrongfully incarcerated. We know the Detroit police lied on him. And I'm gonna just back off now, shut up, and just say I'm honored to be here. Uh, we've got so much work to do, but a lot of the work is Trisha and his attorney Hugo Magnos involves exposing the wrongdoing to get results. We can measure, we should be able to measure each demonstration, each wolf ticket with something tangible in terms of an outcome. If you can't measure outcomes, put the bullhorn down. We need to be able to measure outcomes. It's, it, it, it's important to raise the hell, it's important to demonstrate, it's important to expose the do nothing, the pimps and the opportunists, but it's also important to get results at every turn. And that's what I generally focus in on and just i'm glad to be here thank you oh uh, well thank you we're glad that you're here so we're going to get started we're going to talk about um blind denials and i got that topic from this book that i've been reading i don't know if you guys can see it but it's called blind injustice and it's by mark gossi and he uh, was a federal prosecutor who didn't believe in wrongful convictions. And um, as through his career, he ended up becoming a teacher and um, he um, had to teach a class and these kids, the college students was working on a wrongful conviction. And through that, it changed his whole course of how he represents, now he's an advocate for the wrongful conviction, but convicted. And um, he started the Ohio Innocent Project. 
But anyway, this chapter is called Blind Denials, and it talks about, and I'm going to go to Attorney Hugo Matt, but it talks about how the police and the prosecutor and even judges all uh, operate from a, um, a space of denial. They don't want to really um, admit that they made a mistake or that um, someone is wrongfully convicted. So they ignore DNA evidence. And they ignore even when a real perpetrator comes up and confess because in their mind, this person that they're targeted on is the person who committed the crime. Attorney Hugo Matt, I'll let you take it from there. Well, first of all, I want to say something from my from my heart here. You know, the problem that I've seen with police has been the us versus them mentality. The problem that I've seen with police through their training, which is systemic and, and, and racist ideology, I might add. And the reason I say that is their training is you come to the aid of a fellow officer when called, period. Okay, period. So if an officer sends out officer in distress or what have you, every police officer that gets that has got one thing in mind. I'm going to go to that location prepared to kill if necessary to aid and abet my fellow officer. Now, some may say, well, you need that kind of mentality in order to, to bring justice to maybe save somebody's life. Well, yes or no. Just because we get a call for help and a plea for help doesn't mean we step outside that oath if you're a police officer. So what the problem that I've had is, has been a cascading series of lies, a cascading series of lies, which is based upon supporting that initial officer's response. You see, because what happens is the public doesn't know. Before I, as a criminal defense attorney, filed for discovery, and we all know that the defendant's got a right to see like the, the police report and what have you. The version of the police report that I see is not the original police report that's written. The version of the police report I see is the published report. Just like somebody writes a, a book and they send it to an editor, stuff is cut out, stuff is amended. You see, because the friends that I have, the few that are in the police department, uh, command officers, have been honest and, and said, look, I'm gonna tell you straight up, Hugo, and if you mention my name, I'll deny it. We review police reports all the time and make edits. We do it all the time because it doesn't sound right. The way the officer wrote it, it doesn't sound right. And I said, well, you know, that's that, that's really bogus. He said, man, I'm just telling you the way it is. So the problem that we have is we don't have that inside information from the get-go. You see what I'm saying? And unless we've got some police that are willing to stand up and say, well, I know what Officer Jones said, but when I got there, I didn't see a gun. You know, I, I didn't see a gun. I, I didn't see anything like that. So the the problem for me in terms of, of the blind denial, first of all, is that blind loyalty, you know, and, and being friends and loyalists has got some good attributes or some negative attributes. Friends will lie for each other. They'll cover up for each other. They'll embellish for each other. And over 40 years of practice, inside and outside the penitentiary, I might add, uh, of years of practice, 
I've seen that cascading set of denials, and it's almost like they wrote one police report, but just changed the officer's name in the heading, <laughs> and just changed the officer's name in the in the heading. So, um, in terms of the of the of the blind denial, my first objective uh, as a criminal defense attorney is to start peeling back the layers of those cascading lies. Okay, and and uh, what 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 what. Uh, uh, Mr. Riddle said, you of them graduate that he is, uh, is absolutely correct. When we have a system where they're willing to lie and compound that lie, then it is up to us and it's up to a prosecutor with integrity. You know, uh, we have not been on the same page always, but I do salute our current prosecutor, Ellie Savitt, for progressive things that he has done. And th these are things that have needed to be done. Okay. So it, it, it starts with us understanding there is a systemic racist ideology within the police itself that says we are going to cascade lies in order to protect the image and integrity of our police officers. We are going to cascade lies. And so I'll, I'll be talking for the next two hours, but I'm, I'm gonna leave my initial observation at that. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, I, I, I wanna uh, recognize Ms. Siobhan Vaughn who just got here. Hi. <laughs> I'll let her introduce herself and then we can continue with the conversation. Hi, Shawana Vaughn. How are you? Greetings. I don't think she can hear me. So we're gonna continue. I'm gonna wait till she get her mic, her mic together. So, um, Trisha, go ahead. You just knew I had some burning yeah. in my spirit, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I saw your face, Trisha. Because when I when I hear this blind denial, it's like, no, you being nice about it, sir. It, it, what it is, is y'all lying and hiding. Flat out. Flat out. We're not going to, you know, do these things. I, I, I'm not going to call them out. But folks are used to this tap on the wrist stuff. No, we got to learn how to call a thing a thing and not lessen what the actual effect of something is. They are lying. They are hiding. They are doing things that they are absolutely uh, misconduct. That's what they're doing. Straight out misconduct. They are very aware. The judges are aware. Prosecutors are aware. They are all in the bed together. And I have even seen the public defender's office do the same thing as well. So when you're dealing with a system, and let's talk about, since we got two systems, right? Because right. we got a set of rules different for somebody else. And while we know that, yes, our Caucasian siblings are being wrongly incarcerated as well, we are 51% of wrongful incarcerations. Now, how can that be? Well, we are 14% of the of the United States population. Yes. No, no, no. We got stuck. We like the good man said, my big brother, I love him so much, Mr. Sam Riddle. We got work to do. And the thing is, is that forget blind denials. We want in blind denial. Right? Because we've been allowing this stuff on our watch over and over again. And we've got to learn how to come out of the closet. 
pay attention, take them rose colored glasses off and really pay attention to the justice system. And lastly, I'm going to say something. I challenge everybody to court watch. Court watch so you can see for yourself what is going on. Before we went out on COVID, I court watched on the case. I could not believe it. I, I mean, I've seen witnesses being impeached, straight up lying from the first trial. Like, And I'm looking at the judge. Why are you not holding these people in contempt for perjury? I mean, it's just they all stick together. And that's why we got to learn how to stick together and right. take back the power by using our voice using our vote and holding these people accountable. And Trisha, before I let you go, what about boasting and bragging about uh, your conviction rate? You, you was telling me about somebody with a 98% conviction rate. I mean... First of all, if you need to celebrate that you have convicted 98% of your cases, I question the integrity of your soul. Why is that a focus? And so, of course, in true fashion, I just couldn't help it. I asked her, I said, and you celebrate this 98% conviction rate. It's slapped all over your website. I do not celebrate it. Well, why is it on your website, ma'am? I said, how many wrongful convictions you have in there? I hope none. I said, I hope none either. <laughs> but needless to say, she does have some wrongful convictions under her belt. Families that we know, love, and have worked with. So these people know exactly what they're doing, but their integrity is more about another notch under their belt instead of doing what's right by the people. And so we've got to learn how to do right by ourselves and hold them accountable. Exactly. Can I, can I go ahead? Can I say one thing, J-Law? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shane touched something that I just have to comment on. She is exactly right. And any prosecutor that has to boast about a 98% conviction rate has missed the goal of a prosecutor. And which is one of the things I was said in running for prosecutor. A prosecutor is not supposed to be an advocate for the police, an advocate for business people, an advocate for rich people or white people and other people. A prosecutor is the most unique lawyer in the world, in the world. Why? Because they're supposed to be ministers of justice. Their goal, as opposed to a civil attorney or or a, a plaintiff's attorney, whatever, whose goal is to zealously pursue the legitimate interests of their client, a prosecutor's goal is supposed to be for justice. And if that means nobody gets convicted because the evidence is not there in a fair, impartial trial, then guess what? Nobody gets convicted because that is what a minister of justice is supposed to be about, justice. If the evidence is not there, it is not there. It is not my job, or should I have been a prosecutor, to embellish and go back and have the police interview witnesses three and four times so they can intimidate somebody into changing their story. You see, it is not my job to go and talk to the crime lab and say, well, now you still, the results seem to be a little somewhat conclusive. Why don't you just retest it again? You know, so, so, so maybe we can get a better result. That is not my job, you see? So uh, I agree wholeheartedly with what Trisha said. I just had to say something because I see it all the time. Furthermore, if I'm a prosecutor, the way the law is slanted for prosecution, the way the law is slanted with the Supreme Court uh, of the United States, that is perpetually uh, determined to eliminate civil rights, okay, human rights, the way the law is so slanted, if I'm a prosecutor, I'm gonna be like my man, Sam Riddle. What the hell? I ain't got to cheat. 
I ain't got the chip. You've given me enough tools going into the game already. I don't need to get the stack no the, the the deck with no aces. Hell, you don't gave me six or seven aces already. So what I'm saying is, for me, for me, when I hear Trishay, it just touches my heart, sister, because you are absolutely right. And the judges see it. Don't tell me they don't. They sit up at that bench making all that money, case after case, police after police. Don't tell me you've been on the bench for 15, 20 years. You done seen Officer Johansson testify 200 times and he say the same damn thing every time and it's, and it's wrong and you know it. And, and, and then it's all of a sudden, you know, you just blind to the truth. A crock of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, another thing that's critical to a grasping of the crucial issue is understanding the role of forms like this. On the one hand, I know I'll be preaching to the choir when I speak, but I'm not even speaking to you guys. I'm speaking to those that will one day view this series, this presentation as a library. They can go back in, they can hear the conversations, just like the Bentley collection at the University of Michigan. We are doing what, Attorney Mac? We are building a record right now. That's and right. part of the record has to be about the biggest gripe of all, and that is of prosecutors, as Hugo Mac knows, who seek convictions, as Trisha Duckworth said, who seek convictions over justice and to penetrate that concrete cultural nightmare because it's a cultural nightmare in terms of how everyone operates in tandem. The, the judges tolerate the police lying, the prosecutors tolerate the police lying, and the police feel that there are expectations that they do what is necessary so that the prosecutors can get a conviction and the judges feel, I gotta sentence somebody today so that I look good when I run for re-election. All of this feeds into a form of judicial corruption that is not talked about enough. We need to be issuing literally report cards mm -hmm. on the lawyers that lie. What happens to them? Why isn't there a registry of liars that carry a gun and wear a badge? Why isn't there a registry of liars? Why, why, why do the prosecutors have such a problem saying, we got that wrong. We look up, we see a Kim Worthy on national TV, the integrity unit getting kudos. And what I'm saying is that they found that by platforms like this and the struggles that everyday people engage in when they organize and they put the media spotlight on the injustice, that's the way that we start to get results. But the problem is that the media is complicit in the injustice. So we have to work them too. Everyone mm -hmm. deserves a report card from advocates for justice. They just deserve a report card. Then we have to figure out how to shine a media spotlight. Judge, Fonda Evans, why'd you send the mama out the courtroom? Prosecutor, why didn't you dismiss this case you knew the police officer was lying. Mayor, when are you going to get on your police chief who is still having the city of Detroit pay 60 odd officers proven to be liars, can't testify in court. There must be policy actions 
when injustice occurs, we must be able to measure the outcomes of injustice. And we can do that. But again, our whole way of thinking and coming at these folks just has to change. You know, when I graduated from the University of Michigan Law School in 1977, officially, you go, Matt, I had a classmate there. I knew he didn't like some of the things we had engaged in years prior in terms of some of the demonstration shutdowns and all that. His name was Larry Elder. Do you know what Larry Elder is doing now? Larry Elder is positioned to be the next governor of California with that right-wing bullshit, that racist bullshit coming from a black mouth. All you got to do is Google him. He's now making all the network news with his asinine uh, ideology, but he exists and he's supported by the Trump legions. He's supported by white nationalists and white supremacists. And there is a supremacist form of injustice in liberal cities, in liberal states, blue states. And we have to check them. The fact that they wear a progressive or a, a liberal label means nothing. We look at the numbers. How many are wrongfully incarcerated? What are you really doing about it? We got to move beyond letting them get away with the press conference syndrome to people walking out of prison like the brother here, right here. I mean, you know, again, one day when wrongfully incarcerated, it's just too, too, too many days and, and you can never compensate anyone for that one day of injustice, let alone the years that we serve. And we know that. But those of you looking at this who are not participating on this panel, you can do something. You can simply ask, why didn't you say you knew this cop was a liar, prosecutor? Chief, how come that guy is not fired? He can't go to court. He can't discharge his full responsibilities as a sworn law enforcement official to the people that pay his salary. That's right. Your Honor, you knew the whole damn thing was out of order. Why do you deserve to be reelected? You don't resign anyway. Yeah. Uh, Sam, you know you. Brought, I see Tia jumping up and down because every week <laughs> Tia talks about the report card. Reverend Tia. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never heard Tia. I like her energy. I'm feeling. <laughs> I'm filming it in Lafayette Park, Hugo. Hopefully, yeah. Hugo. <laughs> I, I, I am yeah. yes. yes. jumping up and down because, yes, we need the report cards. And people got to stop going to the polls. See, we have this blind injustice happening because we're going to the polls blind. We, we've got cognitive dis, what is it, dissonance and administrative yeah. evil and dehumanization. And you know what? We keep coddling these people with these words. We coddle them. We coddle them. I mean, I'm like Trisha now. Just, you, you're just liars. Okay? We need yeah. to stop coddling them because guess what? When you look up implicit bias when it comes to the court, when it comes to criminal justice, you know, it's they always talk about uh, we need time. There needs to be time and openness. 
and political will. No, we're not going to pacify you anymore. The oppressor should not be pacified into doing what is right. And, and we got to make them accountable. The other thing I was looking at when you talk about um, this type of unbiased, there's a, a, an author, Stanley P. Williams. He talks about the, the answer is, is that the judges and the jurors need, need double a double-blinded situation. That means, you know, we can fix this thing if it's double-blinded. Not, not we can fix this thing and get prejudiced people out of office, get them out of their position. No, they want to still keep their jobs with with being prejudiced I, I mean we call it implicit bias as if they have no control well then you're not ready my thing is if you if you are that if you discriminate at that level where you hate a, 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 a group of people because of the color of their skin where you have an idea about people even though you don't know them when you prejudge them you are not fit to serve and that's where we got to get to as a community. You're unfit on the report card. Should they serve the community? We're paying you to serve. Yeah. And you get paid every time to serve. And a lot yeah. of the people who are who are going in and in wrongfully incarcerated are already underserved. Yeah. Already. In so many different areas. We have a whole infrastructure that does not service the community, but yet those people in position get paid. J-Love, I'm so glad to be here because we got to continue talking about it. And like, like everyone has already said, we got to put them on blast. We have to be critical about what they're doing. It should not be all right anymore. Right, exactly. Um, I want to, before we go any further, I see Aaron Salter came into the room. And hi, Aaron Salter. Just introduce yourself you to, to everyone. Let us know who you are and what you do. And then we'll go back to Sam. Go ahead. Uh, and Barack, I'm surprised you're so quiet, but go ahead, Aaron. <laughs> okay. Um, my name is Aaron Salter. I did 15 years. Um, I was wrongfully convicted and exonerated in 2018 on my 36th birthday. Um, since I've been home, I started a nonprofit called Innocence Maintained. And what Innocence Maintained does is it supports exonerees in their struggle um, until they get compensated. Um, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that we're able to put a guy in a home like his first day out of prison um, that way he don't have to adjust um, with family members that maybe wasn't there or, you know, just give them a time to adjust to coming home a little bit better um, with us helping each other out. So thank you. Thank you. San, uh, Bar Baraka. Be quiet. Bar Baraka chilling, contemplating, focusing. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. muted. We can't hear you, Baraka. Oh, you're muted. Let's see. I, I told him to unmute yourself. Yeah. Unmute. 
Uh, he having a problem. Okay, go ahead, Sam. No, all I was going to say was just finish up on the elder piece. This is a guy positioned to be governor of California. Mm -hmm. We will have a slew of wrongfully incarcerated folks coming out of California. Is this guy masquerading as a black man is elected. And right now, he stands a good chance of being elected in California. Uh, all the liberal media is starting to attack him because they now understand exactly what's happening with Governor Newsom there. Newsom has been um, branded and it's not good news for him over there in uh, California. But just be aware of that name, uh, Larry Elder. And also be aware that like every time one of our brothers or sisters is free, we say, oh, they're out, they're exonerated. But there need to be consequences and exposure if any of those suckers are still alive that structure the wrongful incarceration. They should not be allowed to get off scot-free if it's nothing but a series of bad articles and news reports. But we have to learn how to work that media, and it's a very hard nut to crack the media because systemic racism in the courtrooms is reflected in systemic racism in the newsroom. And, and it's more than a notion as you rebrand the issue. And we've got to use our language. Implicit bias is a racist term that waters down the racism that, the, that these issues are really about. I mean, if we can get a white man, Joe Biden, to say white supremacy is wrong, that's a United States president. I never heard a United States president say a damn thing about white supremacy. Joe Biden did. Now, whether or not he'll remember it one minute to the next is something else, but he said it. And we've got to get them into our realm, our language, to define our existence with our terminology. They have to learn our language. And the way that occurs is through repetition. Repetition results in retention. When we start wrestling with their terminology, uh, 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 wrestling with their language to a certain extent to define our injustices, then we are going to water down the nature and the inhumanity of the injustice that too many suffer from. You know, I, I went, when I was at Butner, I was up the hill at a real medium security federal penitentiary. Bernie Madoff was down the hill in a camp. I think Jesse Jackson Jr. was there. He couldn't even cut the camp. But anyway, <laughs> the point I'm making is that individuals who have gone through the, 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 the incarceration piece, they are uniquely positioned to be held with high esteem we need to be seeing more people at the University of Michigan or wherever. They need to be teaching. They need to be teaching in the classrooms or, or, or in terms of law schools and whatnot. We have to catch these suckers as they're being grown. Injustice is grown in the classrooms of America where injustice is accepted. Get the conviction. The hell with some justice. Anyway, that's all. I didn't 
I didn't expect to park I got roped into this, you know. And I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Baraka, go ahead, Baraka. I see you got your mic. And thank you. I apologize. If no, I you did. Uh, to point out a, uh, um, a few examples of group denials uh, um, where people's in large groups have been convicted, which are evidence of the denial uh, uh, um, in the system. We have numbers of 94 and 97%. In the state, it's something like 94%. And in the federal government, it's like 97% of the peoples in the United States that are convicted are convicted by guilty plea. But we say that our jury system is the best in the world. If the jury system is best in the world, why do the state by 94% and the Fed by 97% convict people by guilty pleas as opposed to a jury trial? So you really don't know because there's no substantial numbers of a jury trial in either the state or the federal system. Okay? Just do the math. It's simple math. You don't even have to have perfect math to tell you that. Okay? So that's... So, that who say... Okay. I want to ask you a question right quick if I can. So who said we had the best jury trials? Like, this, who said that? This, this is a saying that goes throughout America. What's that? And people, and people repeat it without even thinking about it. Okay? This is a, this is a statement yeah. which we need to take and quit doing. You know, whether we are graduating from law school or whether we are practicing attorneys or whether we are politicians or whether we are ordinary Americans, too many of us have grabbed hold to that lie that's been said too damn often that we had the best jury system in the world. If we had the best jury Doctor. system in the world, we should not be convicting people through the state by 94% guilty plea and through the federal government, 97%. So those numbers re rebuke, they repudiate that claim, okay? And the second example of this, this, this repeated lie, if you look at the, uh, uh, Elijah Muhammad and the former nation of Islam, remember Elijah Muhammad was convicted for taking and refusing the draft. Actually, he wasn't convicted for the draft. He was put on probation for that, but he broke his probation because he refused to send his children to a public school. But his followers, they all was refusing to sign up for the draft. So they put these people in prison, but we know it was a political prosecution. They would have remained there, but for the fact that eventually they took and convicted one of his followers that happened to have some money. And that was Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali took his case all the way to the United States Supreme Court, where the other followers of Elijah Muhammad didn't have that money. Okay, which goes to show you again that if you're poor, that's not going to happen. In fact, it practically uh, broke Muhammad Ali. He had to take and get money from Joe Frazier to continue his battle in the United States Supreme Court, from what I hear and understand. But those are two examples. That large group of, of following of Elijah Muhammad remained in prison until Ali challenged the system. He got a victory in the United States Supreme Court. Okay? Those are just two examples that repudiate the idea about jury trials. These poor people, because they were unpopular, their views and positions were unpopular. Taking in, uh, 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 um, coming up against the system 
advocating to other African-Americans not to take and even sign up for the draft. None of them refused the draft. They simply did not follow. They simply did not sign up for it. The feds used to show up at the back door of their temples and put all of the black males in the panty wagons and take them down to the federal penitentiary for their refusal to just sign up. Okay, and they wind up in there not by jury trial, but by, by guilty pleas, etc. And then I'm gonna give you the third one and move and move on and let somebody else say something. The third one is example with these children. Remember, United States of America is the single largest uh, uh, incarcerator of children in the world for life without the possibility of parole. The jury system allowed that. There's a, even a question of whether or not a child 17 years old or younger can even premeditate. We don't even have the medical evidence that they can even premeditate, but we are convicting them by the numbers of 2,500. Every one of those convictions is just as much questionable as the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of guilty pleas that are entered into this country. Those are denials when you convict young children at that number. Even in the United States, they went to the, to the extent of saying their decision was based upon the fact that they believe that these children are innocent, that most of them are innocent of the punishment. They at least got that far, okay? When you convict a child to life in prison without the possibility of parole, some of these damn kids were sitting at a damn defense table where their feet wouldn't even touch in the damn floor. And you took and sentenced them to the equivalence of, of an adult. And you call that, uh, um, uh, um, that you say that's not denial? You call it equal justice? A child can never be equal in serving time in the penitentiary to an adult. If a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, or even an 18, 19, or 20-year-old adolescent go into prison, he or she gonna serve more time because of the life expectancy of the damn child than any damn adult, than any adult. So that's a damn denial if you got a child. I served time in prison with a guy. Here I was, I had done, done 43 years before I left. But I had a roommate in the room with me that had served 48 years. And I was meeting on the yard regularly with another guy that had already served 52 years. These guys had been in prison before Dr. Martin Luther King and, and, and Kennedy had been assassinated. That's how long they had been in prison, if you don't know how long, if you don't care to do the math, when I say that they had been in prison for 40, uh, um, seven years and 52 years. If you don't, you can't imagine how long that was. You can imagine how long it was when Dr. King got assassinated and when Kennedy got assassinated. So you still got children in prison doing time that damn long. And you call your jury system the best in the world. You call your justice system the most just jury system in the world. It's bull. It's bull. And we need to take and quit thinking that we are acting liberal when we take and speak out against this damn system. Yes. Okay. You, you hear that? We define the problem, but when you talk about a jury system, one of the things we have to look at is how do you take 
corrective action. How do you reshape a jury pool with the federal system, for example? It, it can be done, but most people don't even think about that. They say, well, it's racist, man. You know, black as Detroit is, I had a trial in U.S. District Court, all white jury. Hell, I'm one of the few during that corruption period. I had Kwame for a client. I had Bobby Ferguson for a client. I had Monica Kanyas for a client. I'm the only one that went to trial, a jury, and basically Hugo Mack got a victory. I got a mistrial, even though I had to move for the mistrial and find my ignorant-ass lawyers who didn't do it, and the judge took the plea and boom, dismissed. You know what the jury did? They called a press conference <laughs> against me <laughs> and said they knew I was guilty. That's why there was a mistrial. There was one black woman, flight attendant, that said that jury wouldn't even look at the evidence. They said, well, if he works with them, had them as clients, Monica as a client, worked with her, he had to be guilty. She thought that was so wrong such an injustice that she refused to go along with anything that they were saying. They were calling her names. I mean, when we voir dire, examined the jury, it was clear that they, they were never uh, 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 going to reach a verdict. And what ticked me off is that the attorney supposed to be representing me getting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. What did they do? They sat there looking dumb. And I finally said, Yana appears to me, we got a mistrial here. He said, you know what he did? He said, I'll, I'll put on my robe and take it from the bench. You know, what I'm saying is that we have to redefine the nature of what a jury pool is when we have uh, predominantly black cities like a Detroit. That means that we're going to have to lobby and, and work the judiciary committees at the federal level to change how jury pools are constructed. We don't. I have no conversation on that. Literally, in terms of that. Earlier, you mentioned Muhammad Ali. When these brothers and sisters get out there like Ali did, I I was one of the few. I was an undergrad at Michigan State. Picked Ali up from the airport. Me and Herb Washington. Herb was driving. Herb was the fastest human being in the world at the time. Charlie Finley hired him to run bases. He got a World Series ring. Never owned a baseball glove or a bat, but he could run, fastest man. And that, but when we picked up Ali, the significance of that was at the airport, Capital City Airport at Michigan State University. I was part of a network across the country of students that made our universities pay Ali honorariums. That's how he made a living for standing strong for us. We have to be capable. Those of us that conduct these platforms, when we see advocates out there liking Ali, to make sure that we don't leave them hanging in the wind and just take a damn selfie. They need money. They need food, clothing, shelter, and their families do. Ali was at the peak of his career when we picked him up. We got him up the airport. You go on my Facebook page and see some of those pictures. But the point I'm making is that there's so much to building support for the advocates, all someone behind bars has, other than being a great jailhouse lawyer, I never did that when I was locked up. Folks would come to me, Sam, you graduated from U of M Law School. Can you help me? I said, man, if I knew so damn much, would I be locked up in here with your ass? Damn. 
you know, but they, they, we got great jailhouse lawyers, though. I'm, I'm glad that we had some folk that could do that. I mean, I wasn't into that. But the point I'm making is that we need a support system. <laughs> Up, use this organizational wherewithal that can put together a platform like this and support those advocates for the wrongfully incarcerated. You know, we got social media that has limitations, but it's something. But attorneys have to be paid. I mean, it's a hell of a hassle building a support team to free an individual, and you have to keep the media going. And an old friend of mine from Flint, Michael Thompson. How many years did he do over marijuana? He's out now. But folk had to put pressure, media pressure on and, and marijuana advocates to free Michael Thompson. Mm -hmm. So that Governor Whitmer would, you know, uh, uh, cut, cut his sentence uh, short. Just let him out. Community sentence. With the support of the Michigan Attorney General, Dana Nessel. That's all the result of folks outside, not locked up, advocating for someone like a Michael Thompson. We'll have him on with us uh, one Friday too, Jay Love. But the point I'm making is that it's a holistic approach we have to take in terms of our advocacy. It's great for us to sit here in this forum. We need them all over America, just like this, 24-7, round the clock. We need a network hooked up all over the country. This is this is Detroit. Hook up with South Central. Hook up with Harlem, East St. Louis. I mean, so many places. I name all the places I've done campaigns. And the thing of it is, is those are the same areas where folks need our help. Yeah. And it's just so much more involved than just words and, and pictures. I mean, when folks are locked up, all they have is their brains. And those of us on the outside that might be able to help, might have a platform. They need that, and that's what we can do here. Uh, I'm just glad, again, to be a part of this. I didn't intend to do it. I'm just glad you invited me, Jay Love. I'm glad that you came. Trisha, go ahead. <laughs> I just want to encourage us all that first it starts with a wrongful accusation. Then it moves to a wrongful charge. Then it moves to a wrongful conviction. Why did I say that? These things are in stages. We need to demand that they do more on the front end, yeah. right? The guy comes into the court system and says he's innocent. If a woman comes into the court system and says that she's innocent, then they need to have checks and balances. Like we said earlier, not be about getting a conviction, but like our, my brother, uh, attorney Hugo Max said, being a minister of justice. If we put those checks and balances in on the front end, not only will it save someone from being wrongly incarcerated, y'all so much about money, it'll save the state money. Yeah. You don't got to go through some trial for something that you know is bogus and waste taxpayer dollars. There are so many things that can be done, but because they're not doing them, guess who has to do it? You. <laughs> the one watching. All of us. We have to do it and we have to do it together. See, there are so many isms and schisms and I don't want to work with them and I don't want to work with you and blah, 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 blah. We need to lay that mess down, humble ourselves and come together under the umbrella of justice because without that, they'll win. See, one thing about those that render injustice, they stick together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. The real stuff. Yeah, they do. <laughs> 
So we have to up our ante because it's not about us. If your ego is in the way, check it at the door because justice is on the line and we got to do something about it. We cannot lay down to this anymore. Talk about blind denial. If you are turning a blind eye, wow, you're a part of the problem because it may not be you today, but it could be you and your family tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Attorney Hugo, man, turn on your mic. There you go. Technology lassoes me again. So look, the, the, the thing of it is, is this. I just wanted to say this, and I'm so honored to have uh, Sam Riddle on because Sam doesn't know, but I have plagiarized so many uh, of his statements and his and his uh, his insights. So I apologize to you now for that, uh, J.D. Riddle, but uh, it's not going to change. I keep on doing it. It's all good. It's all good. See, I'm too old to care. Right. <laughs> so one thing I've heard Sam Riddle say is that if you don't own it, you just own it. You see? And the thing yeah. of it is, is that we need to have our own in- input into, into platforms. You know, there have been uh, some black radio stations. Sam knows this better than me. Uh, uh, Martha Jean the Queen was, was on a radio station. I, I don't know if some, some conservatives bought that out or, or whatever that is, you know? And we're just consistently losing platforms, you know? And so that's why with a person like Sam Riddle, and I give Mr. Uh, Adele uh, credit for, for being not only a, a smart businessman, but apparently somebody willing to stand up for some social justice in a person like Sam Riddle, because when I listen to Sam, one thing he does, among many things he does actually that I like, he is not afraid to call out people that may have our skin color but not in our best interest. And see, that is one thing that we need to continually do because, you know, you remember our proposal two where they were voting to eliminate affirmative action maybe back in uh, 2005 or six or, or something along that time, you know, and the thing of it is they bought a guy out of California named Ward Connolly. Yeah, Ward they, they Connolly. Out of California, Ward Connolly, okay? Now, now this man looks just like me, Barack, Sam, Tia, uh, Jay Love, Trishay. Now, what the hell does he have in common with us that, that you can see from a mile off? So what I'm saying is they bought this man here and he was the face. The, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the face of the anti-affirmative action movement in the state of Michigan. They bought him out like a porch monkey, you understand, to come up there and stand and talk about the inequities of affirmative action. Uh, it was wrong. You know, it was insulting. It was demeaning. And they've done it consistently. Uh, I don't know the man, John James, but I know the man pledged allegiance to Donald Trump. I didn't need to know any more other than that about John James, you understand, any more than that, okay? Uh People all over that 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 district attorney down in in, uh, in, in Kentucky name escapes me at the at the hand. Sam knows who he is. Uh, there you go. The man that uh, refused refused to bring any form of justice for uh, Brianna Taylor. Refused abjectly to do it. And the man out in California that that that, that Sam mentioned, I remember that name vaguely but now he's brought it back 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 more to memory for me and time and time and time again so i have to take this chance to publicly applaud sam riddle for not being afraid to call out people and that whole thing with proposal p2 by the way 
the people, some of them reverence too, by the way, in, in the clergy. Uh, you know, yeah, men yeah, and women of God, you know, uh, who, who, pocketed, <laughs> who pocketed financially and gained financially for that, that is not God-like, okay? That is not Jesus, not the Jesus that I know in, in any event. So what I'm saying is not only do we have to support these forums, we have to support the few broadcasters we have, and Sam Riddle is one of them, who is not afraid to speak up and speak out. So, uh, Sam, I applaud you and I respect you. And, you know, I want you to keep on doing it, man, because a lot of people support what you're doing and uh, uh, doing it for us. So I, I had to say it from my Thank heart. Not, you know. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. You know what? I, I am just so empowered right now by what everyone has touched on and really feeling the need for us to to do what Sam Riddle has said, and that is the connection. Um, we have to connect and we really got to begin to put people on blast because we have to admit that in America, people are moved according to what other people think about them. And, and people in leadership, many of them are moved according to how people think about them. And now is the time to change the narrative, to give people the education they need to know what is actually happening so they can have a different thought. But if we continue to pacify them, they're not going to change. They have to know that what you're doing is ugly. What you're doing is insane. What you're doing means that you are psychologically not able to administer any type of justice whatsoever. And when you, when you go at it like that, because far too long, what we do in America is continue to diagnose people diagnose the other people and that's what does that mean that means we're constantly diagnosing people of color we're, con we're constantly diagnosing people who who may have a challenge with some type of mental illness or something but some of this stuff is trauma that has been brought to us inside of these constructs so at some point we need to say you are deranged not only should you not serve in an office you shouldn't even carry a weapon and you shouldn't that's even right. drive a vehicle that's right that's what i want to say thank you gravitia <laughs> thank you guys i mean you're right uh, the blind denials first start with us we have to you know recognize what we're in denial about before we can and then once we recognize our denials, then we can move on and um, help others and change the system because there's one person wrongfully incarcerated is one too many. And we have so many and so many who would probably stories that never be told. So I thank you all for coming on today. I appreciate you all. I love you. Before we go, we got to talk about the summit and I'm gonna put this up for Trisha. Go ahead. <laughs> so we are definitely excited to come back uh, with our annual Rumble Summit, and we're so extremely excited to have um, our partners, the Gerard Movement, 
turning a moment into a movement in the real black coffee, no sugar, no cream. We do have other partners coming on as well, but it's going to be a time for us to come together, get some education, allow our legislators to hear directly from the families and those that are impacted. And then we want to put our hands together and talk about solutions. How do we heal from this and where do we go from here? So we're asking everybody to save the day, October the 2nd. Um, we definitely will be having in the Detroit area. We are waiting to get word on the location just as soon as it is cleared off of this COVID, uh, release from this COVID-19. Um, uh, but we are looking to be back and we are looking to be with you all on October the 2nd. Look, we want justice. We want it now. And we're coming together because so they begin to put people on notice that we're coming for the justice that the wrongly incarcerated deserve. Yes. And also, and also, you can um, listen to Sam Monday through Friday, um, 9, 10, Superstation, hey, a.m., 9 to 11. There you go, Sam. That's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that came off of Fox 2, Shrishe. I didn't do that. That's, a, that's a Fox 2 wanted to interview me, and I, I was running, and I literally ran to Amy Lang, I think that's her name, to the fist. I said, meet me at the fist. And I came out the riverfront because that was the backdrop I wanted for what we were talking about. And so that isn't me. That was Fox too. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we didn't hear much, but he will be back with us. Um, Aaron Salter for Innocent Maintain. And if you need to contact these, everybody that's on the show is a resource for you. Um, you could contact them. Um, if you need help with something. And we also should run a um, Vaughn, who um, I think we were having trouble, but um, her book releases tomorrow. We'll get more information on that. And we want to thank you for joining us, for turning a moment into a movement. We'll be back next Friday. We have another awesome guest. Um, and thank you guys. Okay. Cool. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>